Welcome to the Parenting with Impact podcast with your hosts, Elaine Taylor-Klaus and Diane Dempster, co-creators of ImpactParents.com, an online community, award-winning blog, and service organization, helping parents all over the world to raise complex kids become capable, independent adults. Elaine and Diane are certified coaches with personal experience raising children with challenges such as ADHD, anxiety, and more, and extensive experience in guiding parents to raise their complex kids with confidence and calm. On the podcast, Elaine and Diane interview experts, bringing you cutting-edge information about your child's challenges, teach you real-life strategies to create lasting change, and demonstrate how coaching can guide you to parent your complex kids one conversation at a time. For the essentials of Elaine and Diane's coach approach to parenting, download a free tip sheet at impactparents.com slash podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to another fabulous episode of Parenting with Impact. We are really excited today to welcome Professor Ellie Leibowitz from Yale University, from the Yale Child Study Center. Um, We're very excited to have him with us today. In his studies, he treats childhood and adolescent anxiety. And his research really focuses on development, neurobiology, and the treatment of anxiety and related disorders. So you can imagine why we're really excited to have him today. And he's got a special emphasis in his work on cross-generational and familial influences in these various conditions. Dr. Leibowitz is the lead investigator on multiple funded research projects. He's the author of numerous papers and of books and chapters on childhood and adolescent development. And if I believe, not only are you the father of three fabulous kids, three boys, but you have a a new book and a program out that that we're going to give you a chance to tell us about as well. So welcome, welcome. We are thrilled to have you here. Well, thank you. Um, It is great to be here. Well, we always This is long and coming, right? Yeah, it's true. And we're glad to have you as a new friend. So tell us a little bit about what you do with families of complex kids and how you came to do this work. Well, I've been working in the area of child anxiety and related problems like obsessive compulsive disorder for many years now, and really got into focusing a lot on parents and families early on, in part um, through work with parents of children with externalizing problems, behavior problems, where it's very common to work with parents. Uh, Children with serious behavioral problems are not always ideal candidates for individual therapy themselves. And so it's pretty common in that domain to be working with parents. But it really led me to think a lot about the role of parents in the anxiety domain as well. So can I ask a clarifying question before we go any further? Can you explain the relationship between anxiety and OCD (laughs) in a nutshell. In a nutshell. Well, you know, up until not that long ago, we're talking about 2013 when the latest iteration of the DSM, you know, the Diagnostic Manual for Mental Health uh, came out in 2013. Up until then, OCD was classified officially as an anxiety disorder. Now, in this last version, it's been promoted into its own chapter as part of the OCD and related conditions that also includes things like tick problems and other kind of uh, problems that go along with that. But really, OCD still is largely an anxiety disorder because the fuel that drives the engine of OCD is anxiety. 
the fear that comes from having obsessive thoughts, the worries, the persistent doubting. What really drives OCD is fear and anxiety. And so even though we don't call it an anxiety disorder today, in most ways, it still really is an anxiety disorder. And the treatment for OCD is also very similar to the treatment for other anxiety disorders, whether that is behavioral treatment, whether that's parent-based treatment, whether that is medications, uh, they tend to be quite similar. So really, I still think of OCD as an anxiety disorder for most intents and purposes. Super. And thank you. I've been looking for that clarification, I think, since the, the last DSM came out. <laughs> so I appreciate it. Well, so... Go ahead, Di. I was just going to say, and I think that a lot of parents who are listening and professionals who are listening would like you to take a step further and talk about those three types of treatment, just enough more parent-based treatment, therapeutic-based treatment, medication, and how they tie in specifically with anxiety. Sure. Well, behavior treatment or cognitive behavior treatment, often abbreviated to CBT, is the best established and most researched and studied uh, psychological treatment for anxiety and, and for OCD as well, and focuses heavily on what's called exposure, which means doing the opposite of what your anxious brain is telling you to do. Avoiding. Exactly. It's like your brain is telling you, stay away from all these things that make you uncomfortable, that make you scared, nervous, worried, stressed, et cetera. Stay away, stay away, stay away. That's the primary purpose of our anxiety system is to tell us to stay away from things, right? That's, that's kind of what it's there for. And when it's keeping us away from actual dangers, that's pretty useful. But when you have an anxiety disorder, it's keeping you away from things that scare you, but may not actually pose a real danger for you. And therein lies a lot of impairment and a lot of difficulty because your life can become quite narrowed by all the things that you're staying away from. And you're not really having a chance to learn that you could be okay in those situations because you're always staying away from them. And so Behavioral treatment focuses a lot on exposure, which is doing the opposite of that, meaning practicing purposefully, putting yourself into proximity or contact with the things or the situations that trigger your anxiety. And this is a very well-established treatment approach. Medications are also well-established treatments for anxiety, for OCD, as well as other areas in mental health. The most confusing thing, I think, about the whole medication discussion when it comes to anxiety is that the frontline medications, the recommended medications that are actually prescribed for anxiety problems are not anti-anxiety medication. And right. this is bewildering <laughs> and confusing to a great number of people because you go to the doctor and you know my, my child has, or I have an anxiety problem and they prescribe an antidepressant. Exactly. Right. Antidepressant. And you're like, wait, did this doctor not get it? I'm, I'm not depressed. I I'm just anxious. have anxiety. But this really is just a kind of an accident of history. Medications are often just labeled based on their first use, and then they just stick with that name forever. And so these antidepressants were used first to treat depression, and now they're forever called antidepressants. But unlike the anti-anxiety medications, which are uh, somewhat sedative and can be a little bit more habit-forming. The antidepressants are effective for anxiety, 
but they don't form habit dependence, things like that. They tend to have very low side effect profiles and they're not sedative. Uh, so they're not like, you know, uh, making you sleepy. And so those are usually what's prescribed in the medication domain. And those are mainly the so-called SSRIs or selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. So as you were clarifying, I want to capture for people what the distinction is that you just made. The SSRIs, typically known as antidepressants, are often used for sort of ongoing treatment of anxiety as well. And it's a medication that sort of builds up in the system. You begin to take it and you take it consistently every day over time. You want to keep it up in your system. Whereas the more sedative kinds of of anxiety meds you're speaking to tend to be more situational they tend to not be something that builds, but something you take in an acute situation, maybe for a panic attack or something else. So they're not something you're taking long-term, but they're targeted to an anxious moment. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. Exactly. And that's why in most cases, we wouldn't want to prescribe an anxiolytic, an anti-anxiety medication of that sedative kind for somebody to take every day, like on an ongoing way. But if you have a one-time event. Maybe you have to get on an airplane and you're terrified of flying. You might take a pill like that, go to sleep, you know, sleep your way through the flight and not be too freaked out about it. But you wouldn't want to do it, you know, get up every morning, take that pill and go to school because of all the things that we sort of pointed to. And that's where the antidepressants are much more likely to be prescribed and, and, uh, and used. And then the third kind of treatment that I mentioned, which is really the one that is the biggest focus of my own work, is parent-based treatment. and Which is uh, our favorite part. So let's, yes, absolutely. <laughs> let's really dive into this because that awesome. that's where our work in the world is as well. well so tell us a little bit more about what your treatment is. Yes. So the treatment that I'm going to elaborate on the most is called SPACE. That's an acronym for Supportive Parenting for Anxious Childhood Emotions which is a little bit more of a mouthful. And so we usually just say space. And what's really special about this treatment is that even though this treatment space has been shown in clinical trial research and in multiple studies to be just as effective as working directly with a child, it actually doesn't require direct participation of the child in therapy at all. And that's a huge game changer for a lot of families. It's yes. not always easy to get your child into therapy or to be, to have your child really engaged and motivated and collaborative in therapy. And even when they are, child-based therapy doesn't always work. And so having another option that actually doesn't go that route, that doesn't rely on the direct participation of the child is really a game changer for this field. And what's also special about space in particular is that throughout the entire treatment, all of the focus is on changing not the child's behavior, but on changing the parent's behavior. Right. And so I make a promise to parents when we start treatment with space, I tell them something really simple. They don't believe me at first, <laughs> but then they see that it's true. And that is that throughout this entire treatment, I'm never going to ask you to make your child do anything. Right. <laughs> and I'm not going to ask you to make your child not do anything. Yeah. And that's huge because, you know, it's really easy to say to parents, get your child to do this. 
get your child to practice a skill or do an exposure, for example. And sometimes that might work great, but it doesn't always. What if your child isn't really open to doing that? What if they're not on board? You know, it's really easy to tell parents, go home and get your child to do stuff, but you can't. You can't really just decide what somebody else is going to do. And so by focusing the whole time only on my own responses as a parent, essentially changing the behavior of the one person I actually can control, and that's myself, we can cut out a lot of the problems that might occur if we were trying to sort of directly manipulate the child's behavior. And it turns out that doing that is just as efficacious. It's just as effective. It works as well as trying to work with the child directly. So this has really been something of a landmark change in how we're treating child anxiety problems. So can I check in on something? Because I I mean, I think Diana will say you're speaking music to our ears, right? Because as coaches for parents, this is the work that we've been doing for the last decade is really focusing on the parent and inviting the parent to the conversation to change the way they communicate with their child, because that sets the environment. The term that we learned a number of years ago is behavior therapy training. And what's recommended treatment for kids with complex issues like executive function conditions, ADHD, I believe also anxiety, please confirm that for me, is behavior therapy. But what they really mean by behavior therapy, as we understand it, is actually training for the parents rather than therapy for the kid. So is that what you're describing? Is this a manifestation of that? Well, I think where it gets confusing is that usually when we talk about behavior therapy in all of those contexts, even when we're doing parent work, we're talking about shaping the child's behavior. So for example, maybe using rewards or consequences in order to change your child's behavior. So you might imagine, you know, like take just a day-to-day thing. You want your child to argue with you less, or you want your child to uh, go to school, make their bed, you know, blah, blah, blah. All of these things that we want our kids to, to do their homework, all the things that we want our kids to do, usually when we're talking about behavior therapy, the behavior that we're trying to change is the child's behavior. And the parents are using some system like rewards, tokens, uh, punishments, ignoring or giving attention, all of these different tools in order to shape that child's behavior. Space is a behavior therapy because we are changing behavior, but the behavior we're trying to shape is the parent's behavior. And it turns out that the way anxiety works in children, we can talk about this a little bit more, but it turns out that the way anxiety works in children makes it such that changing the parent's own responses to their child, what am I doing? What am I saying? How am I responding, et cetera, actually has a dramatic impact on the child's anxiety symptoms. Right. Yeah. This so is- what are some of the things that parents can do to have an impact on their kid's anxiety? So let me set the stage briefly first, and then I promise to actually answer your question more directly. <laughs> Fair enough. But if I could take a minute to set the stage yeah. a little bit and talk about what makes child anxiety special, because that will help to understand why we're doing the things that we are doing with, with parents. You know, for the longest time, really decades, 
we have thought, by we, I mean the field broadly, we have thought about child anxiety in essentially exactly the same way that we think about adult anxiety. That's how it's taught in universities. That's how clinicians are trained. People learn a model of anxiety problems that's based on, to put it really briefly, it's based on distorted cognitions, like biased thinking, thinking traps, things like that. It's based on dysregulated physiology. So, you know, you're racing heart and your clenched muscles, et cetera, et cetera. And it's based on the behavior, primarily avoidance. And all of what I just said goes for adults, and it also goes for children. And the treatments, likewise, have been essentially the same. Change those thoughts, change that behavior, teach physical regulation, like relaxation training. And all of this is also correct. I'm not trying to say that any of that is wrong. In fact, it's not wrong. But it does leave there's out. More. Yeah, there's okay. more. Exactly. But there's more. <laughs> uh, it leaves out an entire kind of aspect of child anxiety that's actually meaningfully different from adult anxiety. And that is that children don't really respond to fears in the same way that adults do. This starts from infancy, from as soon as we're born. You know, if you imagine a very young child who's scared, what are they doing? They're not doing what an adult does. They're not doing those classic kind of fight or flight things. Babies, it turns out, suck at both fight and flight. <laughs> they're not very good at fighting, and they're not very good at running away either. And so they really can't respond in those mature, individual kind of fight or flight ways. What do children do when they're scared? They look to their parents. They rely on their parents. This is hardwired and programmed into our, our brains, literally from birth. When a child is scared, their reaction is very much oriented toward their caregiver, right? It's like, I'm scared. Where's my mom or my dad to come and deal with this threat for me? And that makes child anxiety problems actually unique or different. What it also means is that when a child has an anxiety problem and they're chronically feeling scared or worried or stressed, et cetera, they're also chronically looking to their parents to help them to step in, whether that means to protect them from whatever is scaring them, or whether it means to reassure them, calm them, soothe them, tell them it's going to be okay, etc. When we look at families of children who have anxiety problems, what we see is a lot of parental entanglement uh -huh. in those anxiety problems. It's actually rare to meet a family with a child with any real elevated anxiety and not see a lot of entanglement on the side of the parent because the child's constantly drawing them in. And as a parent, you want to step in. You want to help your child feel better. You want them not to be scared. And so you do the most natural thing in the world, which is to what we call accommodate, right? You're trying to help them to avoid that fear. Maybe your child is scared at night, so you sleep next to them. Maybe your child is chronically worried, so you're always answering questions over and over and over and reassuring them. Maybe your child is socially anxious. You're speaking in place of them, right? It goes on and on and, and 
on. And that's really important for understanding the answer to your actual question, which is what would we recommend to parents? Well, and before you get to that, I just want to, because I want to take what you said and really ground people in it. It's so important that, that you know, anxious kids will in some way, almost cultivate an anxious parent engagement or entanglement, as you say. And, you know, as the mom of several kids with anxiety, and I know those first 10 years, you just described me to a T, right? And so what I want to say to parents who are listening is, this is hard, and this can change. And yes, that, that when you have a kid with anxiety, it, it brings you in in a different way. And so the work that you're talking about, and that, that we do, is helping parents learn to respond differently. And so I just want to stand for, it really can change. I promise you, you're not stuck in the cycle. And if you're feeling stuck in it in the moment, there's good reason. And what we're talking about now and what we're going to move into are ways to help you begin to shift that. So just needed that little author's message moment. (laughs) So well said. That is so well said. And also speaking myself as the father of three kids, including uh, at least one with a lot of anxiety, Yes, this is what happens, right? This yeah. is what happens. And it's not, you know, you being a bad parent. It's not you being a, a, it's not your fault that the child is anxious in the first place. And this is something that I actually want to emphasize that the rationale, the reason that we focus on work with parents is not because I think parents are the cause of children's anxiety disorders in the first place. And it's such an easy jump to make from, well, if you want to work with parents, you probably think parents, you know, kind of messed up their kid in the first place. Actually, that is not the story for the vast majority of kids with anxiety. Obviously, really bad parenting can have a really bad impact, right? If you're abusive, you neglect, maltreatment, etc. Those are horrible things that can obviously uh, exert a really detrimental impact on a child's mental health. But most kids with anxiety disorders, they don't have abusive, maltreating, or neglectful parents. They have sensitive, loving, caring parents who are tearing their hair out and at their wits end and exasperated because all of the things that they are doing to try to help their kid and all of these accommodations that they may be pouring tons of time and energy and resources, even money into, aren't solving the problem. And so what is it that we do recommend? It really boils down to two main changes that parents can do in their own behavior. And again, both of them they can do regardless of whether their child is more on board or less on board. It's really uh, two big picture changes in their own responses. The first one is cultivating a more supportive stance toward their child's anxiety, practicing support. And I think a lot of people can hear that word and interpret it in a lot of different ways, but I have a really specific definition for what I mean by support when it comes to child anxiety. And that is, you are being supportive when your responses to your child show them two things. You're giving them two messages, and you need both of them. The first is a message of acceptance, validation, acknowledgement, acceptance of your child's genuine distress. This sounds obvious, but so many times our natural kind of intuitive 
reactions actually don't validate what the child is feeling. You're fine. Don't worry about it. Exactly. Yeah. It's nothing. You're, you know, don't, or, or sometimes even in harsher ways, like don't be a baby, grow up, you know, your older sister can handle this. You should also be fine. That acceptance is the first half of support. You can really be supportive if you're not willing to acknowledge that this is your child's experience, whether you have a similar one or a different one. This is what they yeah, what they're dealing with is real. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Even if their thought is completely irrational, it's still the thought that's in their head. That's right. their experience. And so the first part of support is acceptance. The second part of support, though, what really makes it supportive is when you put the two things together, the second part is confidence, meaning I'm showing you, I'm telling you, and I'm showing you that I believe that you actually can handle being anxious, at least some of the time, and at least some anxiety. doesn't mean that I expect you to now change all your behavior overnight and suddenly not have a problem. If I expected that, I probably wouldn't be very accepting. But it means that I believe in your ability to tolerate, to get through it, to survive it and come out alive and okay on the other end. And that's not trivial either, because a lot of times our reactions to children are also not showing that kind of confidence. When we rush to reassure, when we rush to even preemptively protect them from anything that might cause distress, we are inadvertently perhaps, but we're giving the message, I know you can't handle this stuff. I know you're not able to. Sometimes we even say it explicitly, like, you know, my kid can't handle stress or my kid goes to pieces or Or, or, or I'm here to, I can help you. You know, it's just sort of, who's the focus of the Mm -hmm. that can do? Is it I can do for you or I can help you versus you can do it and I'm here to support you? Exactly. And I want to watch our time. I know, and I know you've got another point, but the other observation that comes up for me is, is to make sure that when we're holding that vision for them, we're not adding more pressure. I remember having a conversation with Jerry Schultz many years ago who said, you know, you don't want it to become one more thing they're not doing. So the language that I've adapted to that is I be- kind of the version of, I believe in you, I know you can do it. And I know you may not believe that yet. And that's okay, because I believe you can. And I'm holding that for you until you can't. Yeah, that is perfect. Right? That is perfect. The supportive statement is a statement about me. Ultimately, it's about yeah. how I view you. It's not really a statement about you. It's also not an attempt at persuasion. You know, when, right. like, so often we try to say what I think, but really what I want is for you to agree with me. I want you to echo what I think. So it's like, I believe you can handle this. No, I can't. Yes, you can. Come on. You can. You can. And I'm slipping believe back. Believe in yourself. Right. So we're not convincing them. We're empowering them to believe, to move in that direction. Exactly. But when when a child consistently over time, when this is the message that they're getting, when they look into that mirror of their parents' responses to them, and what they see reflected back to them is a view of themselves as a child who is understood and accepted, but a child who is strong rather than vulnerable, a child who's competent rather than unable, then that starts to change their own view of themselves as well. And so that's the first of the two big picture goals of space is really practicing support, like write out the supportive statement that you're going to make and start using it when your child is anxious. This is 
not an abstract thing. It's a very concrete, practical thing, literally saying the words. And don't assume that your child knows that you have confidence or that your child knows that you accept. Show them it. Tell them that because what you assume may not actually be what they think. They're good, but they're not mind readers. Yeah, yeah exactly. So let, let's move on to the second one because I, I want to be mindful of our time and, and believe it or not, we're running close to the end of our time. So, okay. so the second point, the second point is about the accommodations. As I said before, almost every parent who has an anxious child is probably engaging in frequent accommodations of their child's anxiety. And so the second change that parents can make in their behavior is take a look at what are the accommodations that I'm doing? What are the things that I'm doing to try to help my child not feel anxious and escape or avoid those feelings of anxiety and start reducing those accommodations? You don't have to change them all overnight. You can pick one thing, pick just one thing. And if that's too much, pick one thing for one part of the day. It doesn't have to be a huge step all at once because that's really hard, but pick something and start practicing not doing that accommodation and be prepared for it to be a little bit hard. Your child may not immediately thank you. (laughs) You got about 20 years for that, but but it does does circle back, I promise. (laughs) It does circle back, but not every child will embrace you on day one and thank you for understanding uh, the principles of overcoming child anxiety. They may get upset with you. They may say, you don't care about me. They may seem more anxious in the very short term, but they'll get through it and they'll get through it without that accommodation. And when they do get through it, you can praise them for that. Even if they had a really hard time, even if they were mad at you, you can praise them for that. And you can show them you did get through it. Yeah, it was hard, but you did get through it. And the next time will be a little bit easier. And you start working your way through some of those accommodations and just be really consistent. Pick something small, but be consistent about the thing that you pick. And it turns out that when parents make these two changes, being more supportive and less accommodating, children get better. It's like you said before, it's hard, but it can change. The world is full of kids who used to have an anxiety disorder, and it is possible to overcome anxiety disorders. And parents who want more uh, detail and depth than we're able to give in the short time that we have today can, A, visit the SPACE website, which maybe you'll be able to share a link to. It's spacetreatment.net, where they can find tons of resources, including therapists who are trained in SPACE. And they can also work through this program on their own, even with a book that came out this year called Breaking Free of Child Anxiety and OCD, a scientifically proven program for parents, Breaking Free of Child Anxiety and OCD. And it really is a step-by-step program for how you can do this on your own with a lot of examples and vignettes and tools for and worksheets, et cetera, for being able to implement this treatment, even if you don't have a therapist near you that you can work with. Well, and the question I want to ask, just as a clarifying piece, because I know we could spend all day talking about this, is age, right? It's just sort of, we're using the word child. And so is there an age at which this is an ideal engagement versus an older kid, younger kid, that sort of thing? Yeah, that's a really great question. So we've actually tested this treatment. We've tested space across a fairly wide age range, starting from preschoolers. Mm -hmm. 
And we know that anxiety starts manifesting very early in life and anxiety disorders start manifesting very early in life. Most people have their onset even before age 10. And so we're talking about a, a pretty early onset kind of problem. So we've started the youngest study we ever did was in preschoolers. We've done research in school age children from six, seven, all the way through age 14, 15. And we've done a lot of work outside of clinical trials, even with older adolescents. Right. So we're talking about essentially across children and adolescents. Lovely, lovely, lovely. So there's so much more I wish we could talk about today. And we're yeah. going to really have to wrap up the conversation. Um, is there anything else, Ellie, that you want to share with our listeners or that you hope that parents will take away from today? I really would go back to what I just said moments ago, which is this is a problem that is hard and it's frustrating and it's uh, difficult, but it can be improved. And, you know, the bad news about anxiety is that if you don't treat it, it doesn't tend to go away on its own. And so people who say it's a phase, they'll grow out of it, don't worry about it, are often wrong. I don't mean that on the first day your child ever came into your room at night and said, there's a monster under my bed, you have to give them Prozac. That's not true. And, and yes, lots of kids are going to have occasional fears. But if you have a child with a more um, stable anxiety problem over you know, weeks, months, or more, it's actually persistent, persistent fears. Yeah. yeah, persistent. It's actually not that likely to just go away on its own. In fact, it's more likely to get worse if left untreated. The good news, however, is that there is no problem in mental health that is more treatable than anxiety disorders. And so if you have a child who's struggling with anxiety, get them help. And I think there's a really good chance that they'll be living a better life soon. I love that. I love Thank that. you yeah. so much. So as a wrap up, why don't you share with our audience either a favorite quote or a motto that you love? You know, one thing that I like to say to parents, and I, I sort of mentioned this in passing earlier, is you are the mirror that your child looks into to see who they are. <sighs> I love that. You are the mirror your child looks into to see who they are. The mic that drop. That Yeah, that was beautiful. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. So thank you all for tuning in. Our guest today has been Dr. Ellie Leibowitz from Yale University, who's doing amazing work with parents on helping them support their kids in managing their, their challenges with anxiety. And so we're so thrilled to have you here. Um, Diane, anything else before we wrap? No, thank you so much for your time today and um, for being here with our parents. Well, thanks so much. And remember, that was fun. to all of you listening, thanks for all you're doing for your kids and for yourself. You are making a difference. Take care, everyone. You've been listening to the Parenting with Impact podcast with Elaine and Diane. For more information on the Impact Parents community or to join Sanity School for Parents, please visit impactparents.com. If you like what you've heard, please share this podcast with friends who need similar guidance and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.